0: much Ross, for the welcome again good evening everyone good to see you i hope you've had a good week um i brought some extra books with me they've all vanished except three um, i've got three books here anyone needing a book on galatians there's one uh any more two and one more <laughs> Okay, John. You maybe got a sick friend somewhere, you need one, so you can get that at the end. Um, Going to read in Galatians chapter 2 tonight, there's I think 21 verses, if I remember correctly. We'll just read the whole chapter, and I propose to do a chapter a night, and and I think I'm down for, I've got my diary all mixed up, I'll need to, to get this sorted out. But six nights, six chapters, okay? (laughs) Right, let's go. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I had preached among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet, not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them. For a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seemed to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Strong stuff, isn't that? Well, you see, there were strong measures required. The false teachers had worn their way in. Um, they were like pariah dogs. And they undermined Paul's message and they undermined Paul's authority. They questioned them both. Because in the time of the New Testament, just as today in the world in which we live, we have pet dogs and pariah dogs. <coughs> Pariah dogs are the scavengers of the street and the pet dogs are the playthings of the rich. Um, they said, these pariah dogs, and uh, uh, when I say that phrase, I remember being in Brazil for a few weeks. My pal and I saved up uh, London Times coupons and got the cheapest ever fare, I think, to Brazil. And um, and when we got to Sao Paulo, the guy we were living with, I learned enough Portuguese to say, you know, six rolls and two pints of milk. <laughs> and uh, I discovered when I went to the shop, round about the shop, there all these mangy-looking dogs, frightened the life out of me. After the first day, I borrowed the clothes pole from the lady I was staying with uh, to beat off these dogs if they attacked. me. The one in particular scared the life out of me, a big hairy-looking tyke. And uh, these were the the pariah dogs. And so they were like dogs to to Paul. He talks about it in Philippians as well. They said he was not a real apostle, and they said he didn't have an adequate gospel. And uh, we saw last week how he went away to Arabia for three years to remold his thinking, to throw into the melting pot his prodigious knowledge of the Old Testament and to recast it in a Christian mold. Um, he had taught about overflowing grace in verse 1, 3 to 5 of chapter 1. Overflowing grace, indwelling peace, glorious rescue, unique sacrifice, the glorious plan of God the Father and Son together to whom be glory forever and ever, chapter 1, verse 5. So, he set this wonderful rescue plan that God had for sinners. Um, and it came under dog attack, you might say. And the, the issue was, first of all, is it true? And of course, secondly, does it work? And in this chapter, we see how it worked in relationships and responses. And so, as we go through life, we meet personalities if you've ever read the Peanuts cartoons by Schultz, Schultz was a Christian cartoonist in America, and you've read the Charlie Brown stuff, you know, and Charlie Brown says, I love humanity, it's people I can't stand. <laughs> and in this chapter, we see uh, how it works out in practical terms. We've all experienced it in our lives. I remember in school, uh, our maths teacher was a lady, um, irreverently known as Granny White, Um, Her hair was tied together by a bootlace that she'd borrowed from her husband, and uh, she loved three things, grabbing you by the ear and shaking your ear. You wanted to punch her, but you thought, I better not punch her or I'll get into trouble. Another thing she did was uh, she poked you with the blackboard compasses, or she grabbed you by the nose, and uh, she really was a vicious lady. And she shouted that when you didn't understand things. And good teachers shouldn't do that with pupils. They drive them into absolute states of terror. And then she went away. And we got this wee man with a wee kind of uh, toothbrush moustache and a wee kind of uh, high-pitched kind of voice, you know. And uh, his name was Mr. Paul. And a very neat wee writer, he used to write up on the board, and he would he would do something on the board and then he would go round the class and we're talking about well, at least sort of thirty-five in the class, and he would sit beside you and he would go through the thing he'd done on the board with you and say, Do you understand that, Mitchell? And <laughs> I say, Yes I do, Mr. Paul. Right, I went and do a hundred examples, okay? And then he would move on to the next person. He went all round the class and gave us individual tuition. He was a one, I won the math prize. <laughs> You know, the mass prize was Vanity Fair by William Makepeace Thackeray. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, he was, he was great. And we, as we go through life, we have caricatures of one another. You know, the Highlanders, they caricature the Islanders. You know, in, in Inverness, they say a skyman man is a fly man, you know, and stuff like that. And we, we talk about Aberdonians, you know, being mean the Aberdonian at his father's funeral, he says to the grave diggers, "Do you fellas take a drink?" "Oh, we sure do, sir," he says. "Well, look in that hole and let that be a lesson to you." And the <laughs> or the Paisley folk that saw it in Niagara Falls, what a waste of water! Um, or the the Pfeiffer who told his children that um, the gas meter was a savings bank. <laughs> <laughs> and stuff like that, you know. The Glaswegian that said to the, the tram conductress, Take me drunk, I'm hame," And stuff like that, you know. We all caricature one another. Um, and bad relations are not good. Uh, they split up families. And there's somebody taking funerals, Russell, bear this out. Quite often you'll say, Are there any brothers or sisters? Say, oh. There's a brother, but we don't talk about him, you know. Um, Bad relationships spoil families. And they split up churches. You wouldn't believe what churches fall out about. How How many gases there should be in a cooker. What color we should paint the door. All manner of things upset people in churches. I lost a member once through a bunion, you know. It came Sunday morning. She couldn't get on her shoes because she had a bunion. And she came to church with a, a shoe and a slipper. And somebody said to her, when she came in the church door, what are you doing going to church wearing your bathies for? And uh, <laughs> she never came back. And I went and turned on 100% charm offensive. I never got her back to church. I was going to make a song about it. I lost a member through a bunion, and that sort of style, but (laughs) uh, we all all fall out, and they split up individuals, you know, I mean, I was talking to Ross, I was partly with a man called George Hossack, that used to be the minister here, a fine historian of the Covenanters in particular, and then I met another minister that came here called Liam Gollicker, that some of you know, and Liam and I, we just didn't, get on terribly well. But we had to work together and eventually God gave us a healing in our relationship together. We both worked at it and God was good. Um, And you get all sorts of divisiveness in churches. You get lone rangers who want to plow their own furrow irrespective of what other people think. You get divisive people. And then you get consensus people that like general agreement about things. And you meet all sorts of leaders in Christian work as well. You get the tyrants who terrorize the congregation. And you get benevolent dictators, you know, who always get what they want, but they they get it with a smile on their face. Um, I mean, I once worked with a, a benevolent dictator in school teaching Our headmaster was a benevolent dictator. You know, he would say things. It was outrageous things. He would say, I have some new lady members of staff this year. And I would just like you to know that if you're a member of my staff and you're a lady, you will not wear trousers. And he was on a hiding in nothing any time they took him on. The the Almighty did not design the female figures to be seen in trousers. (laughs) And he got away with it. no, no lady member of staff in the 12 years I was there ever came to, church, to school wearing trousers. He was a benevolent dictator. They forgave him because he was so good in most directions. Um, you get divide and conquer leaders. You get kitchen cabinet leaders. You get consensus leaders. And you get all sorts of carry-on in churches. In the Baptist church, we have two kinds of growth, basically. Extension growth and extension growth. <laughs> where people go off and hive off and form a new congregation of sorts elsewhere. Now, here was Peter and Paul and Barnabas and Titus and uh, the Jewish circumcision party from Jerusalem with the shop stewards that were there. And they're all coming together in chapter 2 of this. Paul was a converted Pharisee, um, an expert in the Jewish law, who was confronted by the Lord Jesus on the Damascus Road and changed by his matchless grace. And then there was Barnabas, whose real name wasn't Barnabas, but Barnabas was a kind of summary of his character. Barnabas, um, son of consolation, um, it means he was an encourager. And encouragers are great absolutely wonderful in church life when you get encouragers. You know, even when it's left-handed encouragement, you know. A man said to me going out the door once, eh, that was quite a good sermon, son, but you had enough material in it for a special mission. <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, but he was an encourager. A highly respected Jewish Christian and Here's a 14-year gap from Paul's conversion, at least. And he comes to, to be met uh, by the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And he takes with him Barnabas. Now, Barnabas was a great man to take, um, a highly respected Jewish Christian. And he takes with him Titus. Now, that's, I think this, this is the test case for Paul. It's not an inflammatory act. To upset the Jewish party. The circumcision party. It's a testing out of the gospel. In the life of somebody he took there. To see how they would react. To see how their their gospel affected their relationships with people. And so he takes Titus. Titus's daddy was a Greek. But his mother was Jewish. And uh, he wanted to see how they would react I think. Um, was the issue... Christian freedom or Jewish bondage because this, this group wanted to say, well, Paul, his, his doctrine's as good as it goes, but it doesn't go far enough. It should include circumcision in the Jewish custom. It should include uh, observance of Jewish food laws, uh, the kind of meat that you eat, the clean and unclean foods laws of the Old Testament where you were allowed to eat any kind of meat as long as the, the beast who yielded up the meat both divided the hoof and chewed the cud. So you couldn't eat pig meat because pigs have divided hoofs, but they don't chew the cud um, and so on. It was a simple test in the Jewish food law. Say, said, well, you, you, you can only eat certain foods and you have to observe Jewish festival days and so on. They wanted to impose that on top of the gospel, which was, You come to God in all your need, and you cry out to Christ for forgiveness and faith, and you come into the family of God, and it doesn't matter what color you are, and it doesn't matter how clever you are, and it doesn't matter what social class you come from. We are all one in Christ Jesus. That's a great motto for the International Fellowship of Faith clearly defined. And so the outcomes were marvelous because Titus was not required to be circumcised. Verse 3, not even Titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. They don't put that on them. And Paul's gospel was vindicated. It wasn't added to, it wasn't embellished in any way by the leaders in Jerusalem. And the spheres of ministry were clearly defined that Paul would be preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, verse 7, just as Peter had been to the Jews. Um, Wonderful in their different spheres of ministry. Um, They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, verse 10, the very thing I was eager to do. And that's lovely, isn't it? That all Christians of whatever kinds <coughs> should remember the poor and care for them as God prospered them. So the, the gospel was not added to or embellished. They had their separate spheres of ministry clearly defined and they were all to be remembering the poor, especially the widows, you'll read as the, the teaching develops in the, in the Old Testament. Um, but problems, problems. The test case has been won. Titus has appeared, and there's no diminution of the simple, straightforward gospel of grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there's a personality clash. Oh! Verse 11 onwards, the second part of the chapter. A personality clash. Um, You see, Peter changed his eating habits. (laughs) You read it in the story. Here comes a sect, a group, the circumcision party from Jerusalem And before they come, Peter is eating freely with the Gentiles. No problem. He's showing his Christian freedom. And then they arrive, and suddenly, oh, best bib and tucker. He goes away from the Gentiles and starts eating with the Jewish group. And he actually persuades other folk to do so by his example. And even Barnabas gets sucked into it when you read the text. (laughs) And so, sometimes in Christian work, you have to face issues head on. Occasionally, this happens. Um, Somebody said to me once, I can't stand your Glasgow confrontational style. (laughs) And uh, I said, well, you know, it looks important to me that you tell the truth, you know. And we won't go into detail about what happened, but it went right down the line, and it was it turned out it was a big truth that had to be faced, and lies had to be confessed and brought out into the open. And here, there are these, uh, these, uh, not, these Jews from Jerusalem, the clique that were the circumcision clique, um, were joined by Peter. And so Paul tackled them head on. Was the issue trusting or eating and drinking? Was Christianity to become a Jewish sect or an international fellowship of believers? And John Stott says, In resisting Peter, Paul preserved both the truth of the gospel and the international brotherhood. Of the church. And that's wonderful. You know, there's a, a great preacher called uh, George Whitfield. Ever heard of him? 18th century revivalist. It could be heard by 30,000 people without amplification in the open air. There's a story about a farmhand leaning in a fence a mile away from where George Whitfield was. And he came to the Lord through the preaching of George Whitfield. He could hear him a mile away. <laughs> Jock Troop was a bit like that as well. It could be heard at the uh, Lewis's in Argyle Street when he was preaching at Glasgow Cross above the noise of the tramcars. <laughs> uh, and here's what Whitfield said. Well, he said a few very interesting things. I'm going to preach till I fall to bits. And he preached at least a 1,000 sermons a year for about 40 years before he fell to bits. Another thing he said was, if someone tells me that they love Jesus, that person is my brother. And that's wonderful. That person is my brother if he tells me that he loves Jesus. And here we've got the whole issue of division and unity together in f- faith and in the gospel. I think I wrote in that book, it, it's oh no, it was... Um, It surely could not be right that the Jews should come to God by law and the Gentiles should come to God by grace. We're all accepted in the same grounds before God. Martin Luther said, there's got to be a righteousness transfer. None of us is righteous. There is none righteous. No, not one. And what happens is, God takes the righteousness of Christ and applies it to us. He imputes Christ's righteousness to us and we become right with God through the Lord Jesus Christ alone, not by performance, not by food laws, not by rituals like circumcision. We come by repentance and by faith and by living the gospel out. Um, Alison McGrath says the God of the Christian gospel is not a harsh judge who rewards individuals according to their merit, but a merciful and gracious God who bestows righteousness upon sinners as a gift. It's not something we do; it's something that God does for us and has done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. If it's never done, then you t- before tonight, let it dawn on you tonight, God has acted in grace towards us through the Lord Jesus Christ, and he shows us grace and mercy. Grace is receiving a a gift, and mercy is not receiving punishment. Grace and mercy. This is this wonderful God And here was a personality clash. If you've ever had personality clashes, you'll know what I mean. I've had them. Um, Because, so happens with the kind of personality I've got, uh, uh, I'm brought into positions of leadership (laughs) where you've got to stick on the line from time to time and confront people. When there was a wee boy I was a leader, you know? what we do the what we do to and <laughs> captain from the football teams and all that stuff, and then I prayed to God because later on they asked me to become the president of the Baptist Union, they used to have a president every year um, appointed, and I thought, oh, 100 and what, 155 churches. And there was a council that represented all these churches and they had council committee meetings at which I would be the chairman. And I chaired all the Baptist Union councils. For, I was on and off them for over, well, three years. There was a vice presidency, a presidency, and a past presidency. And you were chairing committees. And I don't, I'm not keen on committees. Um, somebody said a, a camel is a horse designed by a committee. And uh, I, I chaired committees and I pray. I had to pray to God. And, and the, the, I realized people up and down the land were playing, praying for me. Uh, and I never really had any problems The people were lovely to me at the council meetings. And it really was good. But occasionally, you'll find confrontation and you'll find difficulty. And through it all, you can experience God's grace in your life. And it doesn't matter how clever you are, what social class you come from, what color you are, what environment you live in, Uh, you'll you'll be able to triumph through Christ's grace in any situation. Um, And so he sums up the chapter, and I better finish off soon. He sums up the chapter, he gets... To the end of it. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, verse 15, know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law no one will be justified. Wonderful. It says, in the last verse of the chapter, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died gratuitously, gratuitously, for nothing. But he discovers that what's happened to him is there's been a major shift in different directions since he is now living for Christ. And you've got the wonderful text. Galatians 2:20. Isn't that a wonderful verse? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. There's a change of identity. That's the first thing. There's a new me. A new me, a new you. If you trust Christ, you're a new creation, Paul says. The old is gone, the new has come. We're a new creation. There's a new me. There's a change of identity. The old you is crucified. And you have to live as if the old self was crucified. And sometimes we forget. And sometimes we are so disappointed in ourselves. And sometimes we have to go to people and say, I'm sorry, I misjudged you. That was the old me talking there. But it really shouldn't have reared its ugly head in that situation. I remember once was a student at the BTI. She sat in the front and to me she looked stupid. And all year I assumed that girl was toiling to understand what I was saying. Well, no no wonder. (laughs) And then, at the end of the year, I I had studied the files of the year of the the students that started with me, but I hadn't studied the previous year. And she was finishing off in my first year. And I said, whatever happened to this girl? Or she went back to being a computer operator, you know, and I said, how can that be? Oh, did you not know she was deaf? And I misjudged that girl all year, Now I never treated her badly in any way, I made a false assumption about what was was the reason for her physical facial expression. She was straining to figure out what I was saying, and I totally misjudged her, and she was away, and I, I didn't know where she'd gone. But to go before God and say, Lord, please forgive me for the way I thought about that girl all year. She was a good girl. Um, and sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes you have to forgive for people, sometimes you have to forgive yourself, and sometimes you have to go to God and say, Oh Lord, please forgive me. And if there's people in the church that you don't get on with sometimes, he's a good, I'll give you an antidote for that. You know know it's a great thing. Pray for them. You ever thought of that? (laughs) If you pray for somebody, we say prayer changes things. But that's true. But prayer also changes people. And if you pray for somebody, God will change you as well as the situation and the person you're thinking about. Pray for somebody who's a fancied opponent of yours. And you may discover they're not opponents at all. You just look at things differently. (laughs) And under God, you'll have this new identity, a change of identity. That's the first thing. He says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Um, and there's a change of personality. There's a new direction in my life. Because Jesus lives in me, and because Christ has forgiven me, the the benefits of his death have affected the the personality that I have. You know? You used to see this thing that said, Please be patient with me. God hasn't finished with me yet. I <laughs> was a, used to have that as a slogan. Please be patient with me. God hasn't finished with me yet. We're all a work in progress, and we get a change of personality with this new direction of our lives. Instead of pleasing ourselves, we're trying under God's strength and grace and by the Holy Spirit to please Him who has called us to be His followers and His soldiers. A change of identity, a new me, a change of personality, a new direction in life that alters my attitude to things. See, I was a terrible truant at school, I had a long and successful career as a truant. It was simple, My father never went near school. Uh, The only contact I had with school was when my father signed my report card. See so, simple. You get somebody to write notes when you've been through and thing, and pretend to be your father. (laughs) I had a long and successful run at that. And then one day, tragedy upon tragedy, the boy that wrote my notes was absent. (laughs) and I had to get another boy to write me a note (laughs) and the other boy wrote a note and the teacher called me out you know and uh, here was I found out and Miss Johnson sent me to the head teacher and the head teacher looked at me and he says you're a clever boy Mitchell you don't need to truant from school why do you truant from school? Oh, my pals do it, so I do it as well. And he, he said, well, I said thrash the life out of you, he says. But if you look me straight in the eye and promise me you'll never truant again, I won't belt you. I said, okay, I promise. So I never truanted again. But, you know, by the grace of God, he can change our personalities. So the fly we truant had to become a conscientious schoolboy. And God can change us. A new identity, a new personality, a new surrender. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. A new surrender. I learned to trust. That's what faith is. Forsaking all, I trust him. F-A-I-T-H. Forsaking all, I trust him. A change of dependency. I don't live by my wits any longer. I live by faith. And that's good. And the Lord will look after you. I mean, tomorrow I'm going to see Mr. Gonzalez. Mr. Gonzalez did my right eye cataract operation, you know, and it took 10 minutes, and I said, bye, you've lived up to your name today, sir. She says, what do you mean? I said, Speedy Gonzalez." <laughs> <And laughs> I'm going back for my final check tomorrow, and my eye is wonderful, I can see, I can read, with the, even without glasses, and I've got a new dependency, because each day, we surrender ourselves to God. There's a big fat bishop in the Anglican Church, Bishop Taylor Smith, and when he wakened up every morning in his bed, he used to say, Oh God, my Father, this, bod- this bed is an altar, this body is a sacrifice. <laughs> Help me today to live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so, relationships tonight, personalities, in leadership we need humility, we need service and we need an ambition to please God and serve his people. We need to ask God what our gifts are. What's your gift? Do you think you can sing and you can he sing? Well, let you know about it. <laughs> Find your gift, develop your gift, use your gift in the leadership role that God has given you. What kind of gifts have you got? And you can be able to serve God in the most menial way, no matter how exalted the world has placed you in your rank. There's a story told about a man, Albert Schweitzer. Have you ever heard of Albert Schweitzer? He was a German. He had three PhD degrees. He had one, I think, in mathematics, one in music, and one in theology. And he was visiting some town in America, and they had a special train, and they had the red carpet out for Dr. Albert Schweitzer, who served in Africa for many years, and he he wasn't coming off the train. What's up with the famous man? There was a big crowd waiting to greet him, the mayor of the town and all these guys, the dignitaries were there. And here's Schweitzer, and this old lady leads on in front of Schweitzer, and behind her is Schweitzer carrying her keys. (laughs) The great professor, doctor, Triple PhD, carrying this old lady's cases, you know. In relationships, loving others, looking around the congregation and thinking, that lady was a drunk for 15 years and God saved her. And she's praising God beside me in this church this morning. Loving others, praying for opponents, talking out your differences, you know. Well, uh, Winston Churchill said, jaw jaw is better than wah wah. <laughs> you always better to talk things out. I had a, a difficulty with a roommate once. Um, and we were having quite a few difficulties. And I said to him, well, here's what we'll do, Paul. I don't want to go up and ask... To be changed to put in another room that's that's a coward's way out let's here's what we'll do you tell me all the things you don't like about me (laughs) and i'll tell you all the things i don't like about you and we'll try and get to some agreement you know so i must admit he took to his task with far too much energy (laughs) (laughs) and he went, went roaring in you know He says well first of all he says, I hate your wretched singing, especially in the mornings. <laughs> and secondly, when your pals come in to see you here, and you seem to have a lot of pals, they slob about in my bed. He says, I hate that, you know. And he says, I hate it. He says, I go to the, the, the study classroom every night and study from six o'clock to nine o'clock Monday to Friday and nine o'clock to 12 o'clock Saturday morning. And you slob about in that bed, they reading books. And when the exam results come out, you're at the top and I'm at the bottom. <laughs> so, we, 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 and, and I said, Well, I've only one complaint with you, Paul. You really ought to lighten up a bit and maybe have a sense of humour about one or two things. <laughs> I said, But I promise you, my pals will never slob in your bed again. I said, And I won't sing in the mornings when you're around. <laughs> and we'll get together so we, 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 we prayed together and we lived together for the rest of the year and we never had one disagreement you know what god had for paul he, he, he was an accountant and he had to bring up two severely deaf children and he and his wife did it so lovingly and so kindly and he was a smashing bloke. and i met him later on and we had a lovely time together um Talk out your differences. Rely on your friends. Friends are a good part of guidance, you know. Prayer, Bible study, circumstances, and friends. These are the four parts of guidance. Rely on your friends and their judgments about things. And most of all, cling to God. Cling to God and ask Him. help you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the Apostle Paul, for his wonderful insights into the gospel, learned in the desert for all these years, and brought into the full light of day when he went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus and faced up Peter. And we thank you, Lord, for the circumstances in our lives that you give us that call us to faith, and we ask you, Lord, that we might be able to say, I, am, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Um, but the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So take us into this new week of life and service to know your blessing and to trust in your grace for Jesus' sake. Amen.